welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the case of the Secretary of State for the Home Department and Franco Vermeiro. The citation for this case is 2019 UKSC 35. And this case is actually one that has appeared before the Supreme Court on a previous occasion when this podcast was just getting started. We didn't cover it at the time, but now that the Court of Justice of the European Union has finally handed down its interpretation of the legislation, we can delve a bit more into the case. The man at the heart of proceedings is Franco Vermeera, an Italian national who has been living in the UK since 1985, which is actually longer than I've been living here to be honest. However, unlike me, Vermeero has killed a man. He had been married to a British woman, but that marriage broke down in 1998, and needing somewhere to stay, he moved in with Ted Mitchell. It is fairly safe to say that the two men did not exactly get along, because in 2001, Mitchell ripped up a photo of Vermeero's children, and Vermeero reacted by bludgeoning Mitchell to death with a hammer. For some reason, that didn't attract a murder sentence, and instead Vermeero was given eight years for manslaughter. Anyway, that isn't the focus of our case, as he served his time and was out in 2006. Instead, these proceedings are about the decision by the Home Secretary on the 23rd of March 2007 to deport Vermeero under Regulations 19.3b and 21 of the Immigration European Economic Area Regulations 2006. By way of a legal background to this legislation, Regulation 21 in particular is the implementation of Articles 27 and 28 of the Citizens' Rights Directive, otherwise known as Directive 2004-38. This is where the preliminary reference to the Court of Justice comes in, as the European judges were asked whether a right of permanent residence is needed in order for a person to have advanced protection against expulsion under Article 28.3a. That provision states that, quote, an expulsion decision may not be taken against union citizens except if the decision is based on imperative grounds of public security, as defined by member states, if they have resided in the host member state for the previous 10 years, end quote. In the view of the Court of Justice, a right to permanent residence is required for this level of protection to apply, because it shows that a person is integrated into that society. With that point resolved, the case now was passed back to the Supreme Court, and that's where we're going to pick it up. Given that we have already talked in the abstract about a so-called right to permanent residence, the best place to start is to decide whether Vermeero actually has permanent residence himself. You might think this is obvious given that he's been here since the mid-80s, but in the original judgment, Lord Mance held that there wasn't a right to permanent residence because at the date when the directive was due to be implemented, the 30th of April 2006, Vermeero didn't have five years continuous legal residence in the UK because of his time in custody between 2001 and 2006. In fact, this meant that he was not able to establish permanent residence on any date between April 2006 and March 2007 when the deportation decision was made by the Secretary of State. There is a bit of a question as to whether Vermeero has acquired a right to permanent residence in the meantime. You see, Lord Mance only said that there wasn't permanent residence on the 23rd of March 2007, but that is not the same thing as saying that Vermeero has not acquired permanent residence by this point and so the door does remain slightly ajar. A lot of this depends on the impact of the time that has been spent in prison, 
and the main case authority in this area is Onukwere and Home Secretary from 2014. The facts of that case are not really too important, but the principle that derives from it is that when it comes to calculating the length of a person's permanent residence, periods of imprisonment will not be taken into account. When it comes to making a decision about Vomero, we can use this principle, but we also have to be careful about applying it to his rather unique circumstances. For example, because he arrived in the UK in 1985, by the time that he was sentenced in 2001, he had already accumulated five years permanent residence, so should that not count on its own? On the other hand, by the time the Citizens Directive was due to be implemented in 2006, Vomero had already spent more than two years in prison. That figure of two years is not arbitrary, but it's potentially very important because in the cases of LaSalle from 2001 and Diaz from 2011, it was held that two years out of the country or out of work would result in the loss of the right to permanent residence. Unsurprisingly, two years or more in prison operates in the same way, so the five years legal residence would have to start again when Vomero got out of prison in 2007. All of this discussion though leads us back to the same question, i.e. does Vomero have permanent residence? Unfortunately, we will have to wait a little while to find out because this case will be passed back to the upper tribunal, who will have to come to a decision based on everything that has been said in the Supreme Court, as well as the Court of Justice of the European Union. This means thinking about not only the right to permanent residence, but also whether there are even still grounds for expulsion on the base of public policy or security at this point. Before we move on to our analysis, it would probably be quite handy to think about what the next steps are for Franco Vomero and his potential deportation. As we have already noted, the case will go back to the tribunal, but what are the chances of success for either side given the decision that we have discussed today? Well, for the most part, the proceedings now sit heavily in favour of the Home Office. We already knew that enhanced protection is only available for those with a right to permanent residence, so now that we can also add that Vomero did not have that right in 2007, he is certainly in a much weaker position. However, I think that a deeper dive shows us that all is not lost in his bid to remain in the UK. We talked about how Vomero might have subsequently accrued enough time to gain the right to permanent residence, and it will be interesting to see how this plays out in the lower courts. Even the fact that this case is now once again on the bottom rung of the ladder is an interesting aspect of this case. Remember, the original decision of the Home Secretary was made in 2007, so that means this saga has now been going on for more than 12 years. Admittedly, this is a pretty exceptional example, but this perfectly demonstrates how these immigration and deportation cases can take up a huge amount of time and resources. Furthermore, I'm not really sure the end is in sight. There is clearly room for debate surrounding what the relevant date is when defining Vomero's residence, and so whatever the decision of the judge, it is likely that at least one side or the other will have grounds for appeal. Even all of this is on the assumption that the upper tribunal doesn't choose to pass this case down even further to the first tier tribunal, as some commentators have suggested might happen. Also linked to the time taken to deal with this case is the question of public policy and security that will come up in these proceedings as well. Put simply, the more time that Vomero remains in the UK, the harder it will be for the government to convincingly argue that he poses a credible threat in line with the directive. 
That brings us on to our analysis of this case, which in a broad sense is about the value of such proceedings. We have some idea about the resources that have already been poured into this case, and while that is embarrassing, we should at least end with a useful legal precedent. Instead, it is worth talking about the wider existential value of using deportation as a means of punishment. From the government's perspective, this kills two birds with one stone. You remove a criminal element of the population, while also reducing the number of immigrants in the UK. However, there is something about this that just doesn't quite hold up, and the Vomero case is a perfect illustration. As I said at the start of the episode, I was born in the UK and have lived my whole life here, but Vomero, an ostensible Italian national, has been here longer, over 30 years at this point. It is also true that he killed a man, but he has done the time for this, and so the deportation proceedings after the fact operate as an extra punishment that is political in nature, and wouldn't be available in cases of British nationals. For older offenders like Vomero, their life back in their home country is likely to be a distant memory by this point, and they have put down significant roots in the UK. Nevertheless, I actually think it is worse in the cases of younger offenders who are threatened with deportation back to countries that they are nationals of in name only, and have often only rarely visited. Deporting these people is really akin to sending a person to a random country at the end of the day. People will accuse me of being a bleeding heart liberal for this commentary, and that is totally fair enough. In fact, I do see the other side of the argument that these are people with a criminal past and that moving to Britain and living here is a privilege that should not be abused. Having said all that, this is an extreme form of punishment, and as we have seen in repeated cases, can operate in an extraordinarily inhumane fashion. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this podcast episode, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. With the academic year starting shortly, remember to check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Marcus Cleaver, where there are various tutorials on different aspects of the law, and there are also some bonus ones on some of the optional subjects that you might find in a law degree, such as employment law, family law, commercial law, and you can find links on where you could purchase those courses at uklawweekly.com forward slash videos. I'll be back with another episode next week, but for now, bye!